You're listening to part two of Relatively Speaking with Kurt Flood Jr., a podcast for Birds on the Black. What do moms and dads and brothers do? Sisters, cousins, and grandmas too when little Billy makes it to the show. Well, relatively speaking, there'd be hugs, high fives, and weeping, but that's just a guess because I don't really know. But you know, Birds on the Black brings you all the facts, the secrets and stories behind Big League glories that only the ones in the know could ever know, relatively speaking. So obviously you have you have tremendous pride in what your father accomplished now, uh, or else I don't think you'd be campaigning to get him into the Hall of Fame. When did that change for you? How, how did the reconciliation happen and, and you were able to adjust to the reality of it? Um, well, um, when he, he came back from, from Europe and uh, he came by the house and, 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 uh, and you know, he, he took us to, you know, it was beyond toys at that time, but he took, took my little brother uh, to, and sister to, 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 he took all of us, you know, um, individually and, and as a group and bought us everything that we wanted and, and, you know, tried to, to, to buy the love. And, and, um, um, I remember, um, he and I and my little brother, uh, going bowling, you know, and this is like in the first couple of weeks that he had been back and, um, sitting there bowling and, and, um, uh, um, he takes off this ring that I have and, um, he hands it to me and he says, you know what? I'm sorry. And, and that was it, you know, and, and, um, um, that was enough for me at, at, at that point, <laughs> you know, um, you know, that, that, the beautiful that, 67 ring that he is wearing right now, folks, by the way, yeah, you can't see it, but we saw it earlier. It's wonderful. <laughs> Yeah, so you know that that was the beginning of the rec- um, reconciliation. He actually came. Uh, I was in the Navy, and um, he actually came to my ship um, in Norfolk, uh, Virginia. Actually, Little Creek, uh, uh, Virginia, and uh, spoke about health and fitness, and and um, um, that was kind of the beginning of, of uh, the reconciliation, and. Um, um, but he needed to be sober, you know, and and uh, and that really began in the late 80s. Um, you know, I think that he got sober in um, 86 or 87. Um, and, um, you know, he was he only lived uh, another 10 years after that. You know, he would die in two days after his birthday in January of, uh, of 97. And um and uh, but between then, he was able to see some of my success. I I uh, had um, gotten out of school and 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 gone back to L.A. and <clears throat> um, didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was 26, 27 years old. And, and um, he encouraged me to get a job um, where I, you know, he, he, he encouraged me to, to show up on the doorstep of where I wanted to work and not necessarily uh, know what I wanted to do with or for them. And um, 
and that made sense. And and you know, I, I went down to the Lakers. Uh, uh, they were just getting getting going with the the whole uh, um, the Lakers. Uh, they had a they had a uh, what did they call it? It was when Magic and and Kareem and all those guys were showtime. Showtime. Thank you. <laughs> It was during the showtime period, and, and I got a job in the boxing. Um, Jerry Buss had, of California Sports owned the Lakers and Team Tennis, and they did championship boxing twice a month at the Forum, and um, the Great Western Forum. And I got a job in the boxing department um, and in, in the marketing area and creating the same sort of atmosphere ringside that they um, were seeing of such value uh, in basketball, uh, you know, with all of you know, Jack Nicholson and, and uh, all those folks courtside. And I uh, did that for three years and, um, and then uh, uh, got hired at uh, 20th Century Fox. Um, and uh, in the corporate communications area and um, my my boss was uh, Rupert Murdoch's right right hand guy to the media. So my boss was uh, Fox's spokesperson, and there he would um, he would my my boss uh, Dennis Petrosky, who was Dale Petrosky's uh, twin brother. Dale Petrosky was the president of Cooperstown. Um, interestingly, and right. um, ironically, there we go. Yeah, well, you know. So I guess my resume came across Dennis's day, and he and uh, his brother Dale were um, uh, the founders of the Mayo Smith Society, um, which is the nation's largest uh, Detroit Tiger backer organization. And they started it when they were at uh, Michigan State, um, as well as being members of the Young Republican Party there, uh, which, you know, as you know, thinking back later, which is why he probably got along with uh, Mr. Murdoch so well. Um, but <laughs> yeah, but this is before Fox, this is before Fox News, you know, this is before uh, NFL on Fox, this is before everything. We were just a little sleepy movie studio and television uh, production um, um, studio over on Pico Boulevard in West LA. And, um, and um, yeah, um, he would teach me the, the business of, you know, writing effectively and uh, developing, cultivating, nurturing relationships with the media. And um, so I did that for, for three years. Uh, and my beyond that, my career has, has um, prim- primarily been corporate communications, crisis communications, and um, uh, philanthropy, non- nonprofit fundraising. And uh, so it's, it's sort of a, an easy segue to um, begin doing it on behalf of um, a family member, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, but, uh, um, um, you know, my dad came to the studio and we had dinner in the executive dining room and, and he met, you know, a lot of the, the folks that I, I was working with on a daily basis uh, in the ex- old executive building, uh, including Mr. Murdoch and, and, um, and uh, you know, um, he said to me, man, if I were you, I'd, I'd just go start looking for wallets. <laughs> because you are the luckiest, <laughs> you are the luckiest kid I, I, I know, you know, uh, but um, 
yes, so he was able to see a measure of my success. Um, well, my early success and what I thought was successful. Um, and, um, you know, um, late 80s, um, you know, we're talking the early 90s now. And the reconciliation happened um, over, literally, you know, over the next, you know, four or five years. And then he became sick, you know, and, and um, you know, he he um, I, I talked to him and he said, uh, you know, I, <clears throat> I had been able to get rid of this um, this cough, you know, and, and uh, he smoked cigarettes, you know, uh, at the time and smoked heavily. Uh, and I don't think that, you know, he hit those four um, pillars that I, I spoke about, you know, in terms of chemical imbalance. Uh, unresolved issues, you know, from your childhood, believing things about yourself that are inconsistent with the truth, and the inability to process stress. And I don't think that that he um, completely solved those things because he was smoking like a like a like a locomotive. <laughs> and um, you know, um, he he says, you know, I can't get rid of this this you know, thing in my throat. And he went to was his primary. And the guy said, you know, I, I don't like the way this looks. And they sent him over to UCLA and uh, they immediately um, began um, treating him for, for cancer, throat cancer. Um, and, you know, he went through the um, and this, this is mind you, this is over like a 14 month period. He went from um, from um, chemotherapy to radiation to voice box reconstruction, uh, to, you know, not being able to speak again, uh, and dying two days after his 59th birthday. Did you, in that time, did you talk to him about all of those things that took place in, in his baseball career? I mean, did, were you able to get that information or those stories from him that you were you know, removed and, and too young to really understand at the time? Um, again, those, that, you know, that, that period of my dad's life was, was, um, a snapshot, yeah. you know, um, uh, he, um, that he did that and, and he moved on, um, past that and moved on to get his life back together. And, and, um, you know, um, today, I mean, I, I, it, whatever you do for a living, it, it, you know, your, your greatest gift is your health, you know, your relationship with your family, uh, um, being of service to your community and um, helping ever hopefully and hurting. You know, that's and that's kind of my my um, my my uh, worldview on pretty much everything. So um, and I was I was gaining that worldview during those those years. And, um, you know, how, how can you continue to, to hold, um, um, you know, uh, to keep fire in, in um, the, the cauldron of, of um, you know, of, of being angry that, that, you know, for things that happened in, in your childhood that you really cannot do anything about. And, you know, my mother says it today. You know, he did the best he could, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and that's it's really all that we all can do. You know, um, he was, a, 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 you know, beset with with uh, man, 
problems and, and adult men and women problems, you know, uh, at an early age, he started drinking over those problems um, and problems, problems of luxury. And I'm, I'm not talking about down, you know, I'm not talking about um, you know, every problem was a downer, you know, uh, women knocking, women knocking on you on your door in the hotel room at, at two in the morning. You know, uh, some people might not see that as a problem, but but um, you know, uh, he he was a a, a man, um, a child in a man's body, and and he had to grow up really fast, and uh, it took a turn that that nobody expected, uh, and um, you know he had to deal with that, and you know isolationism became, became um, uh, you know his refuge uh, as they. What's the song in the, in the song? Every refuge has its price. <laughs> you know, um, he did the best that he could. You know, yeah. And um, I'm I'm good with that. You know, and and um, anything else, then, then I begin to, to crazy make. You know, and make <laughs> myself nuts. And how about the baseball side of that? Did you get to talk to him about this? the the way he tried to change baseball and and the challenge that that was and, and any of those details or is it kind of in hindsight you've been able to go back and learn what that process was and now see the results of it well um you know yeah we, we you know we got a chance to sit around and watch you know ball games and yeah. and um we got a chance you know we got a chance to attend ball games and and uh, sports fantasy camps together, and 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 uh, old timers games together, and it was a lot of times, you know, just um, and um, you know, it periodically would come up, um, but um, you know, I I, I just I, I was more focused on just having him there, and and sure. and you know, having my 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 guy there and not so much on on um you know the 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 um the the, the you know those things in the past that that uh you know we we, we could not do anything so um um and we had some some good times you know um once he gotten himself together and and um and you know with old games with with uh with uh, his his old friends, you know, including Cepeda and and all of his old teammates, and um, you know, um, it was kind of fun to 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 be around him. And you know, there was reconciliation um, with him and those guys, you know, because none of them supported him uh, during the Supreme Court. Not even his old roommate Bob Gibson. I wanted you know? to uh, I, I wanted to ask you about that because. That's such an interesting part of this story to me, and, and maybe one that you don't have all the perspective on having been removed from it at the time, but you mentioned earlier minor league baseball players barely being paid uh, today, much less back then. They're kind of fighting a, a similar battle right now where they don't have the representation and they, they don't have a voice for themselves, and there are a few who are trying to create that, but... Um, you know, without the support from other players, it's hard to gain any traction. I've tried 
on that level to talk to a lot of these minor league players, get them to tell their stories, get them to buy into this so that there is some um, support that's more than just one or two voices. Your dad didn't get that support either when he was fighting essentially that same cause just generations before. Does it surprise you that that those guys didn't show any support, that they weren't on board with this, especially with the benefit that would come their way if it, if it worked out like your dad thought it would? You know, um, imagination is, is, is an interesting thing, you know, and my dad, my dad had imagination, you know, um, and, uh, he was able to convey that imagination, uh, to, um, Marvin Miller and, and, um, uh, with his lawyer, his, his personal lawyer, um, Alan Zerman. Um, but it, it, it took imagination that even the team owners and, you know, they, they, they call it the worst thing that would ever happen, you know, uh, and uh, it would destroy baseball. And you, you, you heard the stories. Um, and, you know, uh, the players, you know, um, they didn't have the imagination either to, 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 to forecast or to even um, begin to to contemplate what their lives how their lives um, could be outside of that 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 um, that feudal system kind of uh, relationship yeah. so you know um, today you, I don't think that you'll find a Kurt flood in, in uh, uh, or Norma Ray or or, or uh, Billy Jean King. You know, you're not going to find those those people um, in in uh, the ranks of, of uh, minor baseball um, because today they they, in my opinion, um, their strength is um, in uh, in numbers in numbers. Thank you. Um, and um, you know, they they um, they're fighting against. Um, um, they're not, they're not fighting against the, the, um, the, 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 the the sort of, um, bondage relationship that players had today. They're fighting to protect what they, you know, and they're fighting to, um, um, well, in, in the case of minor uh, leaguers, um, they, they don't have the salaries, you know, mm-hmm. and, and uh, which makes no sense whatsoever. Um, but um, it's sort of a, di- a different battle. Yeah. But without the support, um, you know, it's, it's hard to it's hard to convince anyone to have that imagination. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's, you know, try try asking somebody to dance to architecture yeah you know it's (laughs) well where do you start you know Mm -hmm. and um so so again imagination is a interesting thing yeah um and if everybody had it everybody would be doing it (laughs) but uh they didn't have it back then and and uh, the players were afraid of of uh of these men you know these these were powerful men uh the owners and and um, and not only powerful in baseball, powerful in everything else, you know, in the Western Hemisphere, 
you know? Um, so, um, yeah, you know, uh, Bob Gibson didn't want to get hit by, you know, any of the, the, um, the uh, shrapnel, yeah. you know, and, and mess up his $80,000 a year or $100,000, whatever he was making, um, nor did anybody else. Um, and, you know, I'm quite sure that many of them would say, you know, we wish that, that uh, at the time um, that uh, he would just, you know, go on with the flow and, and, uh, and, and, and not try to make waves for them or anybody else, for himself <laughs> or, or anybody else. You know, um, it's funny because there's, there's, there's um, what's his name, um, Joe Garagiola. You know, um, was against my dad, and uh, I'm connected with his his son um, on LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's weird, you know. And, and uh, um, but there are others, you know, that um, that weren't there uh, when they should have been. You know, I'm connected with uh, Roberto Clemente Jr. Um, and um, you know, there 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 are others um, that you know I, I that that uh, I have buried the hatchet. You know, um, intellectually, is it enough that that uh, you know even even like Lou Horn, the uh, Major League Baseball player um, uh, attorney, that um, he was the the, the um, lead attorney on Flood and on behalf of Major League. Um, I spoke at a what was called the um, uh, the the Kurt Flood Symposium at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in Kansas City in 2015, and the symposium was uh, um, was a two day event that had all the players, well not all the players, but many of the players from Flood v. Kuhn, including Lou Hoynes, um, in, including Alan Zerman. Uh, my dad's um, personal lawyer, um, baseball um, historians, uh, legal baseball legal scholars, uh, and you know we basically um, there were there was media there, and and um, people that were in media around that period. Um, Brad Snyder was there, uh, and you know uh, it was a two day discussion about everything about the case, you know and. Um, you know, at the at the end of it, you know, I'm I'm waiting for a car to take me to the airport, right? And um, so, uh, a, a one of these SUV, you know, limos pulls up, and I get in the back, and um, I'm thinking that we're about to, to leave, you know, and, and uh, who else but Lou Hoynes gets in the car, right, in the back of the car. Uh, I mean, in, in the back with me, right? <laughs> and so it's just me and Lou points in 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 the car to the airport for forty five minutes, right? And I said, "Well, this is going to be interesting, <laughs> you know." And um, so uh, you know, the, the the driver drives off, and and I say, "Lou, it was a pleasure meeting you, man." And and uh, so, where exactly do you do you uh, do you call home these days? And he said, well, you know, in my 80 years old, and he says, um, well, it depends upon what time of the year, you know, um, 
and I have a place in in um, Tampa St. Pete, you know, uh, and I have a place in Scotts Cove, um, uh, uh, Maryland, and I have a place uh, off of Hyannisport. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, I'm thinking, well, that's terrific. That's you know, not bad. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, but I thought, you know, I wonder where this guy would be <laughs> had he right. lost, you know, had my dad actually got justice, you know. I wonder yeah. where this conversation no, but interestingly enough, he, he began to talk each of these places where he lived. And, and um, you know, um, he talked literally from the time, almost the time that we, we got, we, he stepped into the car and I asked him where do you, where do you live, all the way to the airport and um, getting out of the car. And um, I, literally, he, he uh, didn't want to know. Uh, what had happened, <laughs> you know, I uh, wasn't curious uh, about my family um, or anything, you know, and um, on the plane home, I'm thinking, he filibustered me <laughs> the entire time, you know, it, 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 it dawned on me, he didn't want to even talk about it, you know, so he made it, took it upon himself to talk the entire time. You know, um, but I'm not mad at him. You know, it, you know, um, it was it was and still an authoritarian, paternalistic country, and and that's what they did back then, and that's what they do today. And and um, um, he only he it would surprise me if he didn't hadn't you know um, uh, if he if he had wanted to talk about you know um, you know what had happened to us. I think that that um, had he had he had he um, uh, asked and, and had he learned, you know, uh, about the, what, what happened to us and uh, it would have diminished um, his, his, um, his, not only his, his, his self anointed kind of greatness, you know, cause according to him on life, <laughs> as far as I, you know, um, you know, according to, to him, that he, that he won this entire thing, called, uh, and, and nobody was going to take that away from him, let alone somebody that he beat in court. You know, so, um, I let him have that. You know, I, I, you know, I have my own thing, man. You know, you're 80. I got, I got plenty of time. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. I'm just kidding. But, but uh, you know, anyway. <laughs> So, Marvin Miller made it very clear to your dad what he was giving up. Uh, baseball career essentially over uh, the backlash that he was going to be in for. And and while your dad went through it and he had his brief stint with the senators and still pledged to go through with it as a man of his word, did he ever talk with you about what he gave up and, and, and any regrets for um, putting – himself to this entire process um no you know and and um you know um you know my dad was actually a very private person in retrospect and um you know he was private um with um with a great deal of detail about um his playing career. Uh, I think he was ashamed, you know, that, that he was, 
was um, not a better father, uh, and that he pulled all the the the, the sophomore kind of things that the rest of the sophomore players with some with money in their pocket and you know um, and their invincibility and, and bulletproofness that he pulled all all that stuff uh, along, along with uh, and you know he basically abandoned us. And um, you know, there's a, there's a, 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 a uh, an expression for men who do that to their families. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, call them deadbeat dad. They call them mm-hmm. deadbeat dad. You, you know, and and uh, um, he chose life, and he chose his 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 own his own life and his own person. And um, um, you know. Uh, that was something that that um, in my own, you know, uh, chemical imbalance, you know, uh, unresolved issues, believing by yourself, they're inconsistent with the truth and inability to process it. That was a part of mine be- becoming, you know, I was responsible and am responsible for my own. You know, so um, uh, fortunately, I, I have a, um, a, a good intellectual uh, grasp on on it, and um, uh, you know, I I have forgiven him. Um, you you know, forgiven I, him. I, I, he, yes. he he accomplished so much, and and belonged to St. Louis. He belonged to. Um, uh, I mean, the the legacies left behind for baseball players. He was uh, a hero in in the civil rights movement, speaking uh, the, the things that he spoke out against throughout his entire life. Is it worth it to you now, or would you still rather have had now, looking back at it, that that draftsman father? Well, the the legacy hasn't hasn't ended, in, in my opinion. You know, my my contribution to um, to humanity. You know, my thing is is trying to leave leave uh, this place in a little bit better shape than when I, than how I found it. Um, and uh, I, I wouldn't be here as a man uh, were it not for uh, everything that I went through um, as his son and and everything he went through. Um, um, you know, I, I wouldn't be in this this comfortable place of of um, you know of uh, peace of mind. You know, were it not for you know all all of all of uh, the things that occurred my, in my life. You know, my mom uh, is a um, retired master master of social work. She has a, a master degree in social work. She was the head of uh, the. the uh, what's called Children's Institute International, which is a way station for children who are in, um, uh, awaiting um, foster. And um, she did that for 25 plus years. My sister uh, is a investigator for the Children's Court here in L.A., my older sister. Um, and uh, she's been, been doing that for 25 years. She actually goes into these to these um, crisis situations and pulls kids out and and does uh, you know uh, provides the court all the the um, uh, information that they need to uh, decide uh, how the child is going to be um, managed and placed. And, and uh, my younger sister is a um, is a drug and alcohol counselor, 
uh, for for kids. You know, my younger brother uh, is lives in Brooklyn, New York, is a film producer, documentary film producer, and his wife, 25 years, um, is the her name is Pam Pamela Aguilar, and uh, she's a senior director of uh, um, programming and development at PBS in in Washington D.C. Uh, and you know goes around the world buying content uh, at all the uh, film festivals. So um, essentially, you know, my 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 family is of is about being of service. Um, you know, I was that uh, that uh, PR guy. You know, uh, my mom was fond of saying, you know, the 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 uh, used car salesman <laughs> PR guy, um, and it wasn't really, well, you know, um, uh, uh, as you can tell, I, I don't really have a problem with expressing myself um, and uh, selling, selling with it, whatever it is I need to sell. But, but you know, uh, you're still the greenie. Uh, in fact, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, after after the the dot com boom bust uh, of 2000, I joined. Uh, the uh, National Lou Gehrig's Disease Association here in um, Agoura Hills, California. And uh, they needed, um, it was 2003 or so, and, or 2002, and 2003 would have been Lou Gehrig's 100th birthday. And um, uh, believe it or not, uh, the National Lou Gehrig's Disease Association did not have a relationship with Major League Baseball. Um, so they brought me on board as the Vice President of Communications and I uh, put together this um, this ten part um, PR plan to raise visibility and awareness uh, for the 100th anniversary of Lou Gehrig uh, in partnership with Major League Baseball. I went down to the winter baseball meetings and and uh, pitched uh, Sandy Alderson and and um, um, you know we did a sports fantasy camp at Cooperstown. Uh, they gave gave uh, our organization 100 seats in all the ballparks on June 17th, uh, which is Lou Gehrig's birthday. We sold our merchandise and all their, their uh, licensed venues. Uh, we sold our licensed merchandise and all their, their, uh, their venues. We did a radio and um, a video PSA um, and print PSA campaign. I had uh, Bob Costas as our, as our spokesperson. Uh, pitched him, uh, cold called him, and he said, "Absolutely, I'd love to be a part of it." Um, and and um, um, galvanized a relationship with Major League Baseball, where um, they gave they gave uh, they gave the organization 100 seats in all the ballparks on June 17th um, that year. Uh, and uh, I was able to, to negotiate that that uh, they would give them those seats every year in perpetuity. Uh, so the, the gift that continues to, to, to keep giving. Uh, um, so I, I felt uh, then something that I hadn't felt in my uh, otherwise in my career, and that was a sense of being a, of, uh, of, of and, and uh, I met patients that, that, that uh, had ALS and actually went to high school with the, uh, two kids that uh, contracted ALS, uh, one one guy one kid I, I played uh pop warner football with uh josea fortune and another kid uh, <laughs> called neil browerman who was a um who was a pediatrician you know he was a world renowned you know um medical doctor and they say that ALS um is prevalent in athletes and uh in very very smart people but also beverly hills high school hasn't yeah beverly Hills High School has an oil uh, just off the the football field, 
And um, it was only later in like the, the mid 2000s uh, where I read that uh, um, Aaron Brockovich was uh, representing a number of young uh, who were Beverly Hills High School students. You know, they were they were contracting these weird um, cancers, cervical, cervical, you know, um, ovarian cancer, you know, in, you know, and uh, and what they found was that the petroleum, you know, that that uh, going to school in and around uh, the petroleum uh, was probably a cause of. I mean, it was, it was a huge case, um, but um, you know, uh, I met uh, Neil at that time, Neil Browerman, and uh, but I. I, I began to feel like, you know, my, my career uh, meant something, you know, and that was the, the, the sort of first you entree. You were in the Navy. Into. Well. You've already done so much service. Yeah, but, but um, you know, that I was in the military when there wasn't really a lot. Going, and uh, um, although I was in uh, Grenada, uh, a part of that, and um, fortunately got a campaign medal of uh, and um, um, but uh, no, I mean um, uh, that was really sort of a uh, a really brief snapshot in, in in my life. But I have free medical and and, and uh, prescriptions and any health related things. I just go out to the VA. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> for for you know literally for a period of four years that I, I could barely remember. But um, yeah, it, it, uh, that was sort of the, the um, launch into trying to be of service. And I finally had won my mom's approval, you know, um, in terms of career. And uh, I haven't really looked back. <laughs> so that's yeah. a good transition into the into the uh, Hall of Fame uh, promotion that you're going to be doing. Can you explain to us what the goals of it are? What what kind of your strategies are? What the what the money for the GoFundMe will be going towards? Yeah, um, I was approached uh, a couple of weeks ago three or so weeks ago um, by a guy called Fred, uh, Fred Frommer. And uh, Fred is the uh, lead at, um, he heads up the sports practice at a PR communications, um, public affairs, um, lobbying uh, agency firm in Washington, DC. They're like one of the top uh, lobbyists in, in Washington and, and um but they have a sports practice, uh, and they also have a state and, and local um, uh, government uh, practice headed by a woman called Minion Moore, who was the director of uh, public affairs under Bill Clinton for for his, his entire uh, uh, term. And he, she was actually uh, an advisor to Bill Clinton. And uh, so they reached out to me and said, um, uh, this year's the 50th anniversary. Uh, would you be interested? in hiring us <laughs> uh not not that we would do it not would you be interested in allowing us to do it for free right <laughs> um, so, so uh, being a pr guy i, I figured that it was going to be you know somewhere between 10 and fifteen thousand dollars a month uh and i began to contemplate where i raise this kind of money because it will we need to get the message in front of you know with, with the players with their agents with advertisers, big brands, um, you know, Nike needs to understand that uh, LeBron 
uh, does what he does uh, in moving from Cleveland to you know uh, to uh, um, to Orlando to back to Cleveland to the Lakers um, as a result of free agency, and that has a history, you know. And uh, uh, some decent people uh, uh, gave up uh, uh, a considerable um, amount of, of uh, themselves that he can do that. So that that was kind of the 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 pitch that that I I was going to present to Nike to to uh, un- try to underwrite this thing. And uh, I have literally uh, nearly six thousand um, LinkedIn connections. Um, and uh, C-suite Fortune 500 and and um, sports luminaries, uh, athletes, entertainers, uh, PR or, or rather um, media um, and um, you know influencers. So um, you know, having a background in philanthropy, I I, I know that I can raise the money. Um, but uh, again, th- we need to get the players behind this this uh, campaign. Um, now the campaign, the initial, the GoFundMe campaign is to raise the money in order to pay for the campaign. Uh, right. so, um, you know, um, which will be a, between three, three to six month, uh, uh, engagement and, you know, uh, the, the organization, again, the PR agency is called Dewey, uh, Square Group. Um, and they're located in Washington, DC and they, are wanting $20,000 a month. You know, uh, I, I, I guess I haven't been uh, in doing PR programs in a while, but they, they're expensive, you know, and, and, right. and uh, they were expensive back when I was doing them, but they're really expensive now. So I, I you know, uh, we, we, we need initial traction in, uh, uh, in terms of, um, of uh, presenting a a um, pre- presenting our our effort as being credible and and uh, that you know uh, um, the the athletes and and the agents and the advertisers need to see that, that we that we have uh, a a vision you know for for the uh, to try to get the money together um, but uh, you know thus far we have. Have raised a and now these are terrific people across the country you know kicking in 10 and 20 20 dollars a piece who have no responsibility to the legacy of Kurt flood whatsoever just good people you know and, mm-hmm. and uh, so we raised 560 dollars to literally um, uh, against the 100 plus thousand dollars that we're probably gonna um, need in order to, to pay um, Dewey Square right mm-hmm. um, formidable formidable situation right so i'm pitching right. you know everybody i know and um all, all the the um i pitched nike and i uh, got terrific response um um but um uh you know they kicked it down to their social impact guy who i'm already connected with and, um so they're they're still pondering it right so um uh along comes um um Uh, Jason Kidd, I'm sorry. And um, Jason is a friend of mine from, from LinkedIn. 
gentleman and, and uh, somebody I just met, you know, within the last six months or so. But uh, he uh, has offered to introduce me to Jeff Schwartz, uh, his agent. Right. And um, the former relief pitcher, um, Latroy Hawkins, has, who played 21 years in the bigs, has become a friend of mine and he is helping us out. Uh, but just today, guys, uh, I had um, I had pitched maybe eight to 10 people at uh, Boris, you know, um, Scott Boris's organization, yeah. in Newport Beach. Here Boris, who, who may have benefited from your dad more than anyone. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if anybody benefited less, it would be my dad. And if, if anybody benefited more. <laughs> 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 yeah. So, um, but, you know, have, have uh, tried to communicate with them for a couple of years now. Um, and they're really reclusive, you know, um, and um, very, they don't, they, their website is, is one page, you know, and it's very, very difficult to, to um, access them internally. Um, but in, on LinkedIn, I, I've been able to do it. Uh, but over the two-year period and in the last two or three weeks that I've begun this campaign, and I've been sending them all the material and all the updates, nobody has, has, uh, has uh, you know, um, thought enough to return my emails, right? So um, just, you know, about, I guess, two, day, two or three days ago, um, I I uh, get a, a message from um, from Shane Boris Scott's son, and uh, he has agreed to accept my LinkedIn invitation. Um, and I thanked him for it, and I said, you know, your, your pop and I had uh, had some exchanged some emails over the last couple of years, and um, I got a chance to watch you as a player when you're at USC. I lived uh, kind of up the street, and I would uh, go. You know, I'd see a lot of SC baseball. Uh, it's good to meet you, right? So yesterday I pitched him. Right? I gave him a couple of days, and uh, today he um, responded uh, with an extraordinary letter. You know, saying that um, uh, that his father feels very, very um, um, appreciative, and and um, uh, you know. Uh, is excited about um, backing our 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 um, uh, the Kirk Flood campaign, and um, that he has uh, presented it to other senior executives at um, the Boris Corporation, and they are thrilled. You know, this he, this is um, Shane telling me that they're thrilled and, and are very this excited about you know. No, yeah, it's, it's absolutely amazing, and uh, they are thrilled and and. Um, excited about not only your dad but in backing um whatever it will take to um get marvin miller in as well um so literally i just got that email at about um 3 30 this afternoon and uh I've, I've actually really just been on a cloud um since yeah and i thank him it's it's uh, um you know first it's all Awesome. Thank you so very, very much. Um, and uh, it is spirit lifting. Thank you so, so much. Tell your dad, your colleagues, you know, uh, we look forward to working with you and and uh, um, it's going to be incredibly special. And uh, I appreciate you uh, beyond measure. Uh, so, um, you know, um, although that's just it's one one piece, I will continue 
um, you know, uh, with the outreach to Nike and and all the rest of the sports agents, and um, because I feel like you know, there's stakeholders in in in, uh, in the free agency um, that uh, I mean, Nike with every home run, with every touchdown, with every um, slam, you know, they they're maximizing um, their um, shareholder value. So um, these these freed athletes um, are free for a reason, you know. They we didn't just go from you know um, lifetime contracts to um, free agency. It was a process. And in Cooperstown, if Cooperstown is the place where uh, the history of baseball is kept, if that's the place, then. There is a continuity issue if, if Kurt Flood and Marvin Miller are not included, and the whole process of of uh, you know right now it's it's lovely, it's got a patina, it's varnished, you know. But under no seriously under that you know there's some pain, you know there's sure. some there's some uh, there's there's a lot nothing good happens without a you know um, a, a, a effort and, and struggle and blood, sweat, and tears. And, you know, quite frankly, there's quite a bit. Um, and I think that's a big part of, of, uh, of, of cracking that, that uh, getting them to crack that, that patina and varnish of, of perfectness. Uh, and, you know, baseball, Americana, uh, hot dogs, apple pie, Chevrolet. Um, but we're, we're going to be we're going to be here. You know, I'll be here as long as I have air in my lungs and my family feels the same. My siblings feel the same way. Uh, we're going to be here, and they're going to have their hands full. What would the Hall of Fame mean to the Flood Kids? Um, quite honestly, to me, um, um, it it you know I, I probably shouldn't say this publicly, but uh, I will. It um, you know the. The National Museum of Baseball at Cooperstown um, is a 501c3 uh, nonprofit. You know, um, it's um, it's uh, a place where where um, uh, um, you know the, supposedly the, the the untarnished history of, of this great American sport is kept and and. Uh, um, but, but it, it, it lives and thrives in, in, a, in a lie, you know, uh, um, I say this because, um, there were six years, um, between when my dad joined the Cardinals, uh, and when, you know, essentially when desegregation began to happen in 64, 65, and we actually got the, the vote in 65, that um, and prior to that, when uh, Jackie Robinson crossed the color line, um, that um, are, are not really taken into consideration in terms of uh, whether it's fair to evaluate a, a ball player's career, uh, a white ball player's career, and a black ball player's career um, equally. You know, um, when you can't get a good night's sleep. In the same hotels that your that your peers are getting great night sleeps in, you know, when you can't uh, uh, dress in the same um, uh, areas, when you can't, you know, when you can't go to the same uh, restaurants, 
um, there, there, there are stress. There were stressors connected with uh, being a black ball player that a white ball player would never understand. Would never, would never have to endure. Um, and you know, you come. He, they come. They came to the to, to the ballpark. You know, uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. You know, and the the black ball players. Um, you know, brought uh, the misery of, of a a dramatically unfair uh, social system. You know uh, that they had to, to to you know they they were expected to put up uh, equal and better numbers to their white counter counterparts. So between the dad, the time my dad um, joined the Cardinals. And between then and and when they began to 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 um, uh, experience and to take advantage of the same things that the white ball players um, enjoyed, um, that it, it can hardly be you know it's it's like uh, having a, a uh, uh, running the hundred yard dash and having a a fifty yard head. You know, and um, so uh, it's hard for me to put a, a lot of credence in whether um, the the um, you know an enshrinement of a player uh, who played in 1960 and the enshrinement of a player who played a white player who played in 1960 and one a black player player who played in 1960 as being the same thing. You know, um, uh, I have difficulty in in. In, um, in, in intellectualizing that um, when, when someone says your dad doesn't have the numbers, you know, uh, doesn't quite have the numbers, Hall of Fame. Well, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, let's talk about those six years, you know, where, you know, he had to worry about things that, that uh, other players, you know, simply didn't have to worry about. I mean, they were handicapped. So, uh, you know, the idea that he, that that, that um, he, you know, uh, in um, that he will finally get the recognition that he deserves is valuable uh, in my mind, um, only to the extent that um, that um, the the pain and and. Um, and uh, anguish that that it caused uh, um, is is um, you know it it, um, it it relieves some of 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 of, of that um, of that pain and and uh, anguish that 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 it, it, that it caused. It would it would you know this is probably the, the most difficult thing that, that I will actually discuss with you, but um, um, <laughs> well, I, I, we was it worth it. it? I don't know, man. You know, again, you know, your dad was a draftsman. You know, I would have loved to, to uh, have gone to the, to the office with him and, and learn how to be drafted just like him and, and you know, um, traded in this whole thing, you know, in a heartbeat. Um, so, um, you know, I I, st I still have growth to do in terms of um, uh, is it w is it worth will it be worth it in my mind when, once he is finally in and um, one thing that that uh, I hope is that they don't forget him once he's in 
you know, um, because if you don't remember your history, you know, you're 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 doomed to um, repeat it uh, over and over and over again. And um, well, I so, think that's right. This is more than a plaque, right? A plaque goes on the wall. Actually, not many people visit the plaques. They visit the museum. And Kurt certainly earned the plaque. But also the museum needs to have a section that highlights that accomplishment in those years and that sacrifice he gave up. One interesting thing you said was, looking back at those early years, when, when people make Kurt Flood's Hall of Fame case, they often point out he missed the end of his career, which is very valid. But in his early days of playing for the Cardinals, he played under Solly Hemus, who was uh, mm-hmm. known to be prejudiced towards Kurt. And uh, just, just to tell you the numbers of Kurt in his early 20s, uh, when he had this manager who essentially wanted him to quit and didn't trust him, turned around exactly. the moment that manager left. Uh, he was hitting 283 when Solly Hemus got fired. The rest of the season, he hit 337 and essentially became the Kurt Flood star that everybody knew. But for two or three years there, he had a manager that hated him for his skin color. Yeah. How, how do you perform for your boss? Racism is 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 um is toxic, man. It's it's um it's um it it's all consuming, you know. Um, not only for the person being um, uh, re- receiving the racism, but it's it's consuming for the for the race, you know, which is um, remarkable that that um, uh, how you can dis- disease and toxify your own system um, um, when it's not necessary. Uh, I don't think that racists actually know to the ex- to what extent they're, they're, they're toxifying their entire system, you know? Um, but yeah, you know, uh, Solly was, was horrible, you know? And, uh, um, you know, it, it um, Luckily, he had he had George Crow, um, who was a little bit older, uh, as his best friend, and, and um, you know uh, George George said, you know, you're you're in the you're in the bigs now, man. You can't you can't hit uh, you you can't um, you know try to drive balls over the fence here. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's a different game. You'll have to adapt to it, and and. Uh, uh, be more of a contact hitter and, and uh, you know, really, really schooled him when he needed it. Um, you know, imagine the um, imagine having a, a manager that that um, that had your best interest in mind and that loved you. You know, as a human being. Yeah. When I was at Fox, man, um, there were very few today. Black Hollywood is, is very, very small. But when I was at Fox. Of the 270 VP, the lowest VP from VP to um, senior VP to executive VP to um, uh, press to chairman to, to vice chairman to Mr. Murdoch, chair, uh, there were 270 um, executives, right? Uh, three were black. Now, my, this is 1992. Fox only had three black executives out of 270 in the whole company. You know, um, one was in labor relations, 
captains, was a VP of labor relations. One was a woman uh, who was uh, the head of, uh, was a VP of children's, uh, Fox Children's Network. And one was uh, a lawyer called Eric Yeldell, um, who was a senior VP. He was the highest ranking, and he drove a Yugo, you know. Um, and, um, but imagine if I, if I had had some, some uh, mentors <laughs> back then, who well, I, you know, so we're, we're, we're talking about, you know, in the early 60s, you know, but fast forward to the 90s and there's only three black uh, executives at Fox, you know. So, um, yeah, I mean, we've come a, a long way and got a, a long, long, much longer way to go. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, he, you know, um, those six years, you know, and, and quite frankly, in 65, it just didn't, you know, Roses just didn't, you know, um, sprout up and, and life was suddenly great. You know, um, we had uh, uh, the Kennedys were killed and, and Dr. King was killed and Malcolm uh, was killed and and Megar Evers and, and um, you know, the war in Vietnam. And, you know, this country was coming apart at the seams. So, um, you know, there was a lot going on in baseball and, and you know, outside of baseball. I tell you what, we we have had you here for two hours now, and I I feel guilty <laughs> for keeping this is, but it's been so fascinating to talk to you tonight and hear your stories. I I, I can't appreciate it uh, enough. Um, I I you know want to give Tara, of course, a chance to say what she wants to say, but I have to ask you a silly question because it's it's Kurt Flood related. And uh, I'm a baseball card collector, and I, I I need to know if you have heard of the saga of 1964 tops Kurt Flood. No, I have not. Okay, so there is it, it, it's 1964. It's not his rookie year. It's nothing like that. Uh, but for years, this was a a very rare card. Nobody knew why it was rare. Nobody knew why it was so high priced. Nobody knew what was going on with it. And they discovered that there is a a man who started collecting baseball cards and saw this Kurt Flood 1964 tops and it brought him back to his childhood when he wanted to be Kurt Flood, when he played center field in Little League and, and he just loved this card, so he bought it. Now, you, you buy it and you want to keep it nice, but you also want to look at it, so he bought another copy and another copy. Uh, and now he right. owns over 4,000 of these 1964 Tom Skirt flood cards. Yeah, I do, I do know the story. Um, yeah, um, and I've seen, <laughs> I've seen um, him pictured with with all those cards. That's that's actually amazing. Yeah, I, I, as soon as I found out about it, I am now an owner of a 1964 Topps Kurt Flood. I urge any baseball card collectors out there, get it, because he still buys them. It's still, he said, you know, he buys one every day, essentially, a 1964 Kurt Flood. And he owns, I think, one-third of them all now in existence. And it's just, it's just one of my favorite things, that this guy just saw this image, and it flooded back all these these great memories of your father and wanting to, to emulate his play. And now he has this absolute obsession with this one baseball card. It's, it's amazing. You know, um, uh, the, the Cardinals were the, at one time the, the westernmost team in baseball. Yeah, Western so Cardinals, Southern. Cardinals yeah. fan. Right, Cardinals. Cardinals fans, that's right. Um, Cardinals fans, uh, they drew Cardinals fans from like four different states and, and all around, you know, and, and um, 
um, all the way down to Mississippi, you know, and, and uh, when um, uh, when um, the writer, um, oh goodness, I was hit just, his name just dropped in my head. <laughs> um, After two hours, we'll forgive you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, who wrote the firm? I'm sorry. Uh, Grisham. John Grisham. Grisham. Yes. So when John Grisham uh, was a kid, um, he would listen to the radio uh, and, and, and listen to Cardinal games. And uh, I only learned this um, around 2000 that um, he wanted to be Kurt Flood. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, because, they, you know, um, uh, he would he would listen to these games, you know, on these on these hot summer nights in Mississippi, and and um, um, you know, as a 10, 12 year old, and and uh, yeah, you know, it, it uh, um, I had no idea. <laughs> uh, anyway, but, uh, he didn't become Kurt Flood, but he turned out okay. Yeah, you know, and it's funny because I I um, I always wanted to be a writer. Um, but um, it um, it really shows you the the the, the adoration that the Cardinals uh, um, had, you know, with with so many uh, states um, surrounding uh, Missouri. And and um, uh, when I was in St. Louis, you know, I I'd hear stories about uh, people tell me that they would bring the TVs into the classrooms uh, during the World Series, you know, and let the kids watch the games. You know, I mean, baseball is that big. I, I this is fantastic, Tara. Do you have anything to add, or or can we can we let them go to bed? <laughs> I don't have any other questions for you. I think we've uh, we've heard so many stories that um, if anyone was curious beyond what you can find in the books and the documentaries and the YouTube videos, I think we've given them a wealth of information. So I appreciate your time, folks. Not the next golden air. No, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Not at all. It's been a pleasure, and, and uh, you know, if you guys if you guys want to talk again, uh, you have my number. Um, uh, we we will want updates on this campaign for sure. Uh, the next Golden Era vote is is uh, twenty twenty. Uh, the last two Golden Era votes, Kurt wasn't even on the ballot for it. And I think most people that know baseball history think he belongs there. But it's it's a battle just to get him on the ballot to be considered. Uh, do right. you think it's going to happen? Do you think 2020 is the year or 2025 is the year for this? Do you think um, that uh, Scott Boris attaches himself to losing efforts? <laughs> that is a good point. Seriously. Good point. I mean, no, really. it dawned on me. I'm thinking, wait a minute. <laughs> Maybe he knows something, you know. Uh, I just don't see him, you know, aligning himself to lose. Well, it, we There's... Obviously, or, or, support or, from Cardinals fans. To, to simply placate me. Right? I mean, sure, you know, sure. Uh, I, I don't see it. So, you know, fingers crossed, man. We'll be here. And, uh, and let, me, let me add, 
uh, while we're at it. Uh, the Cardinals have this rule about you have to be in a Hall of Fame to retire a number. Uh, Kurt needs his number retired now. It is number 21. It is half of Jackie Robinson's 42. I believe it was an honor of Jackie Robinson. Uh, Flood was a part of two championships as a player and was a major part of baseball history, and he needs to be on that wall out there. Thank you for say, saying that. You know, it. It. Um, um, my dad was was Gussie Bush's fight. You know, um, my dad is not um, the fight of the current Cardinal ownership. You know, and um, I realized that when my dad was um, inducted into the um, you know the St. Louis Cardinals Hall of Fame, and um, you know, uh, it was during a period. I chose not to, to, to be a part of it um, because it was during Ferguson and I just didn't feel comfortable with, with uh, you know, going to St. Louis and celebrating something with that happening, a cab drive away. Right. You know? um, uh, um, and, and I told them, you know, I said, uh, you know, it, it, it just didn't feel right. Uh, and I spoke to uh, KMOX there and told them the same thing. But um, um his his um, enshrinement happened in and around that time, and um, I'm sorry. What what's the Cardinals owner's name again? I, I it escapes. Bill Dewitt. Yeah, Bill Dewitt. It wasn't Bill. De- My dad wasn't Bill Dewitt's fight, you know. And um, so um, I think that the the, the you know enshrining enshrining My dad in the St. Louis Cardinals Hall of Fame was actually a gesture, not only that something that was probably over uh, in reality, but it was also a, uh, a meeting of halfway uh, with the Ferguson community and trying to, to, to rebuild um, or repair the, uh, rather to mend the fence that, that um, had um, been, um, you know, um, that they needed to mend. Um, interestingly enough, um, Bill DeWitt sits on the board of Cooper. Yes, Center. for the veterans, right? Yeah, he and he should be uh, your absolute, absolute advocate for it. But I'll, I'll tell you one thing that may work against him. Um, I don't know if you know, but in the early '60s, the senior Bill DeWitt was the general manager of the Cincinnati Reds, who were not a great team and would have been a lot better had they not traded Kurt Flood. So he might be a little bitter from that. Well, uh, what can I tell you? They they actually <laughs> signed my dad. They actually signed my the, the Red Legs signed my dad, Frank Robinson, and Beta Pinson, um, literally in in the in the same in the right and for four thousand dollars a piece. You know, for they they got they got those three guys. You know, in the outfield for for. Twelve thousand dollars, and but but um, at that time, my dad uh, had had said to me that that uh, whenever you saw more than like two black guys on a team, he knew that somebody was you know um, that was the 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 two was two was uh, fine, three and and somebody was on the way out, Mm. so it was him in in that situation. 
That's a it, just an amazing story, and I can't thank you enough for it. We look forward to following it. Anyone out there that wants to contribute, wants to be a part of saying that uh, they they stood by Kurt, they uh, they helped contribute to him getting in the Hall of Fame. You can find the links to uh, the GoFundMe on Kurt Flood Jr.'s Twitter. Uh, you can find it linked to this uh, to this podcast. We'll certainly uh, provide it, and uh, we're rooting for you. And appreciate you coming on. Appreciate your 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 sacrifice because you had to sacrifice a lot from um, from your, everything your father really gave baseball. Uh, and uh, of course, we appreciate Kurt Flood. And uh, I think that there's the George Will quote that that kind of says it best, where he said uh, he lost the 1970 season. He lost in the Supreme Court. But he lit a fuse, too late to benefit him. His cause prevailed, and the national pastime is clearly better. But more important, so is the nation, because it has learned one more lesson about the foolishness of fearing freedom. And that, to me, emblemizes all of those players who you were talking about didn't have the creativity, did not stand behind him, was a fear of freedom, a fear of giving up their $80,000 contracts and seeking the actual freedom, which would give them so much more. Thank you. I have no idea how to end this. <laughs> Thank you very much for being here. We look forward to following it and, and have a good night. I can't appreciate enough uh, you spending this time with us. Means a ton. Thank you so very much, both of you. Thanks again to Kurt Flood Jr. for joining us. Make sure you check the show notes for all the information about the Kurt Flood for Cooperstown campaign. As always, find more at birdsontheblack.com. Relatively speaking.